We're so glad that you found this Peak City message today. Our prayer is that during our time together, you're able to discover Jesus and are encouraged to follow him fearlessly. Thank you for that, Patrick. Thank you for the applause. My name's Taylor. I'm one of the pastors around here. Um, been here for about three years now. Loving Colorado, loving Peak City. Um, and those are some nice words by Petey. And it's funny because when I was preparing for this sermon, I was planning to do the opposite of that for Petey. Like, because everybody that comes up here on stage, if they're a guest speaker, they're like, oh my gosh, Petey's so awesome. He's so talented. What a leader he is. And yes, he is all of those things. But I'm thinking, wouldn't it be fun? I mean, because we've We've, we've known each other for a while since college. I'm like, wouldn't it be fun to get up here and share some embarrassing things about Petey? Like, maybe, maybe how he doesn't know how to do anything around the house, probably can't even hang a picture. Maybe some embarrassing stories of when he said or did the wrong thing in front of his wife or his kids and got them upset and so he got in trouble. Maybe some stories where he did some things in front of me and embarrassed me in front of um, complete strangers. But then as I was preparing, I'm like, wait a minute. What does he do when he's up here on stage? He doesn't shy away from those things. He, he, he admits that he is a sinner in need of God's grace. He admits that he's making mistakes. And so when he admits it, then it kind of takes the fun out of making fun, fun of somebody like that. And so I just want to use this opportunity just to give you guys a little peek behind the scenes, a little peek behind the curtain, and um, know that this church, your pastor, Petey Kinderman, this church is in good hands. Who he is on the stage is who he is off the stage. He's a man chasing after Jesus, trying to bring people along for the ride. He wants Jesus to be known in Colorado Springs and around the world, all right? So... Enough of the love fest, enough about Petey, let's get to it. All right, so I want us to look today at this word. This word is problems, okay? We're getting right after it. We're starting off with problems this morning, okay? And so some people have come into church today and your biggest problem that you're facing this season is what are you gonna wear? Your biggest problem in this season, this weekend is what am I gonna see? Am I going to see Barbie or am I going to see Oppenheimer? I don't know. And so, but some of us in here, we're facing problems that are keeping us up at night. Things that we've faced maybe for years or maybe it's just something that just popped up. Um, so, some examples, some people are facing poverty. You're lacking the financial resources that you need to live. You're just trying to keep food in your belly. You're just trying to keep the lights on. For some people, we're facing unemployment. Your organization's making some changes and you're next on the chopping block. Some of us are facing substance, substance abuse. You're addicted to a drug. Maybe it's pills, maybe it's porn, maybe it's cigarettes. You know you're gonna be found out, but you just can't stop. There's violence. There's people getting abused. You don't know how to escape it. There's bullying. Maybe you're a student at school and you're facing a bully. Maybe you're somebody, you're an adult at work and you're facing a bully and you don't wanna go back. Maybe it's friends. Maybe your friends are acting a fool and you don't know how to tell them to stop. Maybe you are that friend acting a fool and your friends are trying to tell you to stop. Maybe it's health. You're facing a diagnosis. Maybe it's a physical ailment. What's my next step? 
Maybe it's with your spouse. Divorce is being talked about. It's on the table. Can my marriage be salvaged? Maybe it's your kids. Maybe you've got little kids and they're acting crazy. Maybe you have grown kids and they're acting crazy. Maybe you have grown kids with kids of their own and all the kids are acting crazy. Maybe it's parents. Your parents are mean, unsupportive. They're not the loving parents that God designed them to be. Maybe you have just lost a loved one and you're just a shell of yourself. You don't know how to move on. You don't know how to go into the future without them. And the list goes on and on. And problems can be overwhelming. And sometimes we tend to think, well, you know what? Maybe if I could just get ahead financially, if I just get some more money, my problems will go away. We, we know what Notorious B.I.G. said, more money, more problems. There are problems that money just won't solve. Then we think, all right, what about age? There's something that age will solve, you know, because I remember thinking when I was little, I used to be thinking, when I turn 40, I will be rich, I will be wise, and I'll know how to fix my own car. <laughs> and I just turned 40. I'm none of those things. <laughs> there are certain things that even age will not fix. So when it comes to everyday hardships, when it comes to problems, guess what? Jesus doesn't want you walking around fixated on your problems. He doesn't want you doing that. That's not living life to the full. So when we see these problems, we think, let's solve it. I'm going to put on the cape, I'm going to fly in, and I'm going to solve all these problems. But unfortunately, there are some things in life that you just can't solve. What happens when you realize that you aren't the hero. So the question I want us to wrestle with today, the question I want us to think through is this, how do I find peace in the midst of problems that I can't solve? Because whether you're Christian or not, whether you've been coming to church your whole life, or this is your first time, we're all facing problems. My prayer today is that we all find hope. And I know that I wanna be the person that has the answers. I wanna be the person that can solve the problems. I especially wanna be that person when it comes to my family. This is a picture of my family. We got my wife, Allison, older son, Eli, younger son, Jack. Older son, Eli, came time for him to be born. So we walk into the hospital. I walk in like the hero, I say, I'm big, I can do things, I can catch this baby when he's born, don't need no nurses around. Then it came time for step one, the epidural. So the doctor says, all right, dad, you sit here in this chair. So I'm sitting here in this chair. They say, mom, you sit on the bed across from him. They said, mom, put your feet on his knees. And then you're holding hands and you're looking at each other. They say, look at each other, focus at each other, don't look at the needle. So I look at the needle because it's time for the epidural. I'm thinking, I don't want to be looking at this epidural needle. And as soon as I looked at it, the room started spinning, and I could feel myself moving to the side. And then the doctor says, somebody catch dad. The nurse comes over, swoops under, catches me. Two more nurses come in. They pick me up, and I'm like tripping over medical equipment, over cords, and they drag me to the couch. So this is the scene. My wife getting the biggest shot of her life, and her hero of a husband, 
laying on a couch, drinking a juice box. It was awesome. But man, we all got problems. We all have issues that we're trying to solve. And when I think about this, and I think about, you know, trying to be the hero, trying to solve this big old problem, I think about this story in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles, if you have a device, let's open them up to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17. Now this is a story that took place around 3,000 years ago, all right? And I love this story because I would hear it a lot, and I thought, I know what this story is about. I know the application, but it turns out I was completely wrong, had no idea what I was doing, all right? And so this story is about two armies. You got the Israelite army up here in the mountains. Then you have an army coming in, their enemy, coming in from the coast, the Philistines. The Philistines are coming in. And in order to take over, the Philistines got to cross this valley. The Israelites, they hear about it. King Saul's like, uh-uh, we got to go stop them. So they come in and they meet at this valley. And they stop at the valley. No one is entering the valley because if they enter the valley, they'll give up their position. And so they're just sitting like this for weeks. So finally, the Philistines send out their mighty warrior. The mighty warrior comes out and he says, hey, let's do this one-on-one fight just between the two of us. Israelites, send out somebody to fight me. And this was pretty normal during this time. The winner of the fight would be victorious. The losers would have to become the slaves of the winners. Okay, it would limit the amount of deaths. And so this person that they sent out was a giant. He was over nine feet tall. Now, I'm 6'9". That would be like if Petey were sitting on my shoulders. Okay, that's what the giant looked like. He was intimidating. He had so much armor. And it was absolutely frightening. And so no one is going out to fight him. Then finally, somebody comes up and says, I'll fight him. I'll fight this giant. And King Saul looks at him and says, you're a shepherd boy. You can't be fighting this giant. He'll destroy you. Shepherd boy says, I've been preparing my whole life for this. I have sheep. I've been protecting them. If bears come, if wolves come, I'm killing him. And I'm going to do the same to this giant, especially because he's talking bad about the God that I worship. So King Saul says, all right, listen, if you're going to go fight this giant, you got to wear my armor. So he gives him his helmet, gives him his armor, gives him his weapons. The shepherd boy tries them on. He says, I can't go out in these. I'm not used to them. So he gives them all back. And instead of wearing the armor, he picks up five stones, picks up his sling, picks up his staff, and he walks out to face the giant. And the giant thinks, is this some sort of joke? I'm going to squash this guy like a bug. It would be like if Petey came up and wanted to fight me. I would destroy him. And then the giant says to him, he says, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Come here. I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Then the shepherd boy comes back with a line of his own. He says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you 
in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Then the shepherd boy, he takes out his stone, fires it at the giant with his sling, hits him right between the eyes in his most vulnerable spot. The giant falls, either dead or unconscious. And the shepherd boy runs over, picks up the giant's sword, and cuts off the giant's head. This is one of the most famous stories in the Bible. And I'd be willing to bet whether you've been around church or not, that you know what this story is about. You know the title of it. I don't even have to use their names. This is the story of David and Goliath. This story is referred to all the time. And I got to be honest with you. I got a bone to pick with this story because everybody now is always rooting for the underdog. Everybody now is always rooting for the little man, but not me. I'm not rooting for the little man. Always rooting for the big guy. Favorite basketball player, Shaq. Favorite wrestler, Andre the Giant. I love watching them dominate normal-sized people. You know, just because we're big, it doesn't mean that we get through life any easier. Who's with me? Any other big people? That's right, that's right, that's right. See, they know. But now, why do I love this story of David and Goliath? I love this story of David and Goliath because I think it challenges us to look at the love of Jesus differently. I think it challenges us to look at our response to Jesus' love differently. And I'm going to try and get us to look at this story in maybe a way that we have never looked at it before. A few months ago, I was on vacation and I was reading a book. And yes, it was really a vacation because there were no kids. And yes, I was reading a book because I'm old. And yes, reading a book on vacation is awesome. But I was reading this book, and it was by Malcolm Gladwell, and it's called David and Goliath. And this book really made me mad. The book ticked me off because I'm thinking, listen, the reason that this story is even famous is because it's an underdog story. This little shepherd boy is not supposed to beat this big giant. But Malcolm Gladwell says the opposite of that. He says it's not an underdog story at all. Let's look at this story and, and see what he says about it. He says, in ancient warfare, slingers were an incredibly important part of the army. Slingers would have this leather pouch. They'd have two long leather strands. They'd swing it around. They'd let go of one of the strands and the rock would fly out. He said that they would have the stopping power of a 45 caliber handgun. These things were so precise that they could shoot birds out of the air mid-flight. It's insane. And so slingers were often the decisive factor in battle. This is what David was. He was a slinger. Then he goes into describing Goliath. He says Goliath is heavy infantry. Goliath uses the words, come to me, which means he's expecting the fight to be hand-to-hand, hand-to-hand combat, which is why Saul tries to give David his, um, his uh, spear and his armor. But David's like, listen, I'm not taking this armor. 
and I'm not taking your weapons because Goliath is wearing all this armor. He has 100 pounds of armor on. He's a sitting duck. This is target practice for me. Then he goes into what um, medical journals are saying. I'm thinking, Malcolm Gladwell, wake me when the medical journals are over. But the medical journals are actually pretty interesting in this part. He says, Goliath is led onto the valley floor by an attendant. Why would a mighty warrior have to be led onto the valley floor? Then he has this line, you come at me with sticks. But David only has one stick. You see, anytime somebody is like head and shoulders above someone else, there has to be an explanation if someone's like sticking out that much. And he says that Goliath suffered from a form of giantism called acromegaly. Acromegaly is caused by a benign tumor on your pituitary gland, and it makes you huge. Then he said, Goliath is not over nine feet tall. He says Goliath is actually 6'9". And I'm thinking, maybe I need to get checked out for acromegaly. <laughs> then he says, a side effect is poor vision. And I wear contacts. I'm thinking, oh my gosh. But this explains why Goliath moves slow and has to be escorted down to the valley floor. This is why Goliath says, come to me, because I can't see you. This is why Goliath says, you come at me with sticks, because he's seeing two sticks, but David is only carrying one stick. So then uh, Malcolm Gladwell goes into it and he says, so you can defeat your problems because all the big problems have a weakness. In the case of David and Goliath, it was acromagaly. But all problems have a weakness that you need to uncover and you can take them down. And so we say, all right, well, you know what? We can take down our problems with five smooth stones and a slingshot and our problems will go away. That's the application we typically hear. So we grab our five stones and we go up against our big problems and then what happens? We're human. We have a plan, like Mike Tyson says, everybody got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. So we go up against our problems, we get hit, and we get scared, and we can't even see our problem anymore. We can't even see the target. We're shooting at the wrong problems, or maybe it's something we've been planning for our whole life. We've been preparing for this moment forever. And so we knock down our problem with our five smooth stones, but then a hundred more problems come up. Or maybe we're, we're, we're facing an addiction and we relapse five times and now we're out of ammo. Now what, Malcolm Gladwell? If you're so smart, what do we do now? And you're thinking, Taylor, we're at church. You're supposed to be giving your problems to Jesus, all right? Because you can't take them down on your own. I'm thinking, you're right. That's another application that we typically, see, that, that we typically hear. If you have the faith of David... You can be the hero and conquer blank. You can fill in the blank with whatever you want. Sickness, marriage, finances, bad boss, addictions. So what do we do? We go to bed and we pray to God. I mean, it's a good prayer. We're thinking, God, please take away my problems. Please take away my problem of this, this, and this. And we're saying our thous and we're saying our arts and it's super biblical, super spiritual but then we wake up in the morning, we open up our eyes and what is staring us back in the face? 
our problems are still there. If you follow Jesus, it doesn't mean your problems will go away. If you follow Jesus, it doesn't turn you into a hero so you can defeat your giant problems. Here's the unfortunate truth. If you follow Jesus, you will struggle with problems until the day you die. But if you follow Jesus, he'll be with you every step of the way. If you follow Jesus, he'll be giving you courage and confidence and wisdom. But the outcome might look different than you had hoped. You might be thinking, Taylor, I know some people who have been healed from their sickness or from their health thing. What about them? I said, I know some of those people too. There's one guy here, Dave. He was serving at the church just a short while ago. And I'm walking down the hallway real slow because I got acromegaly. Then (laughs) Dave, he zooms right by me. And I'm thinking, Dave, hold on a second. Just a few months ago, when I was walking, I had to walk extra slow because you had a cane and you could barely keep up. Then I'm looking online and you're running Spartan races with the McCoys. I'm like, what gives, Dave? What gives? I'm thinking, is this guy some sort of faker? Am I going to find him out? He says, well, you know, Taylor, the doctors told me that my walking was supposed to get worse but it's gotten better. So I don't know. I think the answer might be God. I said, Dave, I think you're right. I think the answer actually is God. So what's up? Why is it that sometimes we have faith in Jesus and we pray and our problems go away, while sometimes we pray and our problems, they stay? Or sometimes they get even worse. Well, you see, not all of our problems will go away this side of heaven. Not all sick people will get healed this side of heaven. And if you are praying and your problems aren't going away, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. If you are praying and you're not getting healed, it doesn't mean you don't have enough faith. Our problems here on earth are a sign of an even greater problem. There is something greater that God wants to save us from. I believe that the story of David and Goliath that doesn't show us how to conquer our problems, you see, when we read the Bible, we tend to insert ourselves into the position of the hero. In this case, it's David and Goliath. We, t- we want to insert ourselves as David. We want to say, I'm the man, I'm the hero, I'm the giant killer. But guess what? You're not the hero. The Bible's not about you. Jesus is the hero. The Bible is about him. If you're anybody in the story, you're the Israelite that's scared on the sidelines looking for a savior. My buddy Kenny, he used to tell me all the time, Taylor, you are not the sun. The world does not revolve around you. So many times in life, whatever we read, whatever we watch, whatever we do, we want to think that we are Truman in the Truman Show and everything is about us. But when it comes to scripture, it's all about Jesus. I heard a pastor once say, we can find Christ in all the scriptures. In the Old Testament, he's predicted. In the gospels, he's revealed. Acts, he's preached. Epistles, he's explained. And in Revelation, he is expected. 
The Bible is a book about God's love for us and how he defeats sin. So we can have a relationship with him. You didn't defeat sin, he did. The story of David and Goliath is foreshadowing that Jesus is going to come to earth and defeat the biggest giant of a problem that the world has ever seen, which is sin. And when it comes to sin and death, we do not stand a chance. So we look to the one who conquered it. So back to the question, how do I find peace in the midst of problems I can't solve? We look to Jesus the hero who saved us from our biggest problem so we can face our lesser problems. The weight is off. The biggest problem has already been solved. Now, why is this good news? This is good news because, one, when we place our faith in Jesus, we will never be separated from him. We won't be separated from him in this life or in eternity when we pass, which means We don't have to be afraid of death. If cancer comes, and I know for some people in here it has, but if cancer comes, we don't have to be afraid of death, even if it kills me, because Jesus has taken the sting out of death. Jesus took the impact of it, so we only have to face the shadow of it. If sin is off the table because Jesus dealt with it, We know that we don't have to be separated from him. The pressure's off. We can go through anything. You can insert anything into this statement. I look to Jesus, the hero who saved me from my biggest problem so I can face whatever. I can face anything. Romans 8, 38 through 39 says this. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's beautiful. I remember there was this situation that was keeping me up all night. And I was going through this for, it was two or three months. It was this spot that I'm like, this is cancer. This is it. I'm dead. I'm done. And I, was, I wasn't um, sleeping at night. I wasn't eating. I was losing weight. And my wife came up, she said, Taylor, what, what gives? What's going on here? And eventually I told um, her about it. I told the doctor about it. I told God about it. And it turned out to be nothing. But in my head, it was everything. Because I'm a bit of a hypochondriac, all right? And so, but she walked me through the whole thing. And we got to the very end. And at the end, she's like, Taylor, what's the worst that could happen? I said, uh, I die? She's like, yes, you die, but you're not going to be separated from Jesus. The worst thing that can happen is if you're separated from Jesus, and that's not going to happen. And as soon as we talked about it out loud, it was like just an incredible reminder. Oh, my gosh. Just by saying out loud, it gave it, it, the, the thing I thought I was dealing with, it lost all of its power because Jesus was giving me peace just by giving it to him. And I think sometimes we get into these situations, we get in our heads, and we can't see beyond today. No matter what we're dealing with, we we forget about what God has done. And so I want to take a minute just to remind us of what God has done. And I'm, I'm a movie guy. Love movies. Favorite movie? Dumb and Dumber. Love walking up to people saying, big gulps, huh? All right, well, 
See you later. Anybody? Anybody? Dumb and Dumber? That's right. Well, all right. Favorite action movies? We got Tombstone, Gladiator, Braveheart, you know, all those. And so when it comes to the story of David and Goliath pointing us to Jesus as the greater David, defeating the greater, bigger, giant of a problem, sin, I like to think of it like a movie, all right? Scene one, Jesus arrives. In the story of David, David arrives. David enters the valley. He doesn't look like an action hero at all. He's a small shepherd boy, but he walks to the battlefield alone. No one's with him. No one else can handle this problem. In the same way, Jesus arrives. Jesus comes down to earth. He doesn't look impressive. He doesn't arrive with a crown on his head, driving in on a tank. God puts on flesh. And I think this miracle is often overlooked when a holy God and a sinful man come together as one, but yet no sin is present. Jesus experienced everything we experience, but yet never made a mistake, never sinned. Scene two, Jesus is victorious. In the story of David, David shows courage. The Philistines thought, ain't no way. Ain't no way this shepherd boy is taking down our giant. David goes right up to the giant, shoots him with his sling, knocks him down, picks up his sword, cuts off the giant's head, and lifts up the giant's head in victory. David is victorious. In the same way, Jesus shows courage. He knows what is about to happen. He knows that he's going to be beaten. He knows he's going to have a spear driven into him. He knows he's going to have a crown of thorns smashed on his head. But he willingly walks to the cross where he's nailed to it and he dies. He didn't pass out. He didn't fall asleep. He died. And people thought, ain't no way he's coming back from death. Ain't no way he's walking out of that grave. Then three days later, Jesus brings himself back to life and walks out of the grave victorious, proving that he is God. (laughs) Scene three, Jesus saves. In the story of David, David saves the Israelites. They no longer have to live in fear because their savior, David, has delivered them from the Philistines. David has delivered them. They no longer have to be slaves in fear of that. In the same way, Jesus saves us. If Jesus doesn't come back from the dead, Christianity is worthless. But we have a reliable collection of historical records written down by eyewitnesses. I'm telling you, Jesus is alive right now, and he wants a relationship with you. Romans 10.9 says this, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus has delivered us from sin. We do not have to be slaves to sin. We are a new creation. Scene four, Jesus calls. This is an incredible part. This is where we make the shift from being a scared Israelite looking for a savior to knowing who our savior is. We can now fight in the battle because we know Jesus has won the war. We can move from the position of a victim to the position of a warrior. 
a little over a month ago, we had um, some baptisms in here. And there was a lady who was baptized, and she was out in the hallway. She was telling me a little bit of her story about how she was overseas. She did some work for the military, and I started to get a little intimidated because I knew she could break me in half at any moment. But as she was talking, she was saying, I've never seen a baptism here at Peak City. I've never seen a baptism at all. And so she was looking on social media. She came across some baptisms, not here at Peak City, but at other churches. And she said the baptisms that she saw, they were all wearing like white flowing robes and gowns. The hair was all glamorous and elegant. And when she gets here, we give her a black t-shirt. She's like, what is this? She goes, she gets changed. And as she's looking at herself in the mirror, she doesn't put her hair down all glamorous. Instead, she puts it back. And she says, when I did that, that's when I realized that I wasn't looking at the person that I saw on social media who was being all glamorous about things. She said, the person that I saw as soon as I put my hair back was the person that was overseas, about to go into battle. And I said, you are absolutely right. You are going into battle. God tells us to fight. He provides the armor. Our confidence is in him. He fights for us. And he's the one that brings us home. Friends, scripture tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If you're not in a battle right now, rest assured, one is coming. If you are following Jesus and you are making him famous and you are pursuing him, Satan don't like that. He's going to do whatever he can to try and put a stop to it. And so what do we do? We remember the war is won, but God's still telling us to fight. And how do we fight? We stay alert and ready against the devil's schemes. We die to ourselves every day. We live for Christ every day. Old sinful ways are put to death, and now we pursue things that please God. Not too long ago, we had some weird stuff happen in our, in our neighborhood, on our street. My son, Eli, he was nervous to play out in our driveway, to play outside. And I know not every neighborhood is 100% completely safe, but I, I just wanted so badly for him to realize, Eli, listen, your earthly father right here, like I've already taken care of the big things. You've got food, you've got a warm bed, you've got parents that love you. I don't want you worried about these lesser problems, okay? You're safe. And in the same way, I think our heavenly father wants the same for us. He wants us to realize our biggest problem has been solved. He wants us to understand that we can just live a free life pursuing him, making him famous. We, we don't need to be worried about these lesser problems. We got 99 problems, but sin ain't one. When we face our problems as warriors, we keep our eyes fixated on Jesus and not our problems. Because when we do that, he gives us peace. How do we do that? How do we do that if we're in a hospital room and we're on our bed and we can barely get up we can barely even think, let alone give Jesus our problems. How do we continue to put one foot in front of the other when the weight of the world is on our shoulders and we don't know what we're gonna do next? 
The way we do that, how we do that, is because the power that rose Jesus from the dead is the power that is in, that is in his believers. We look at our problems and we say, hey, listen, you're not gonna conquer me because Jesus conquered you. You may kill me, but you're not gonna take my soul. That belongs to Jesus. There is coming a day when there will be no more addictions, no more death, no more disease, no more worries. Because if we believe in Jesus, we will be the one who has overcome the world. We'll never be separated from him. We will be the one, we'll be with the one who battled our biggest problem of sin and came out victorious. Let's stand up as we close out in prayer. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for sending your son to save us. Thank you for defeating our biggest problem of sin. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're here today and today's a day you wanna place your faith in Jesus. Today you're saying to God, I believe that you have defeated my biggest problem of sin and I wanna place my faith in you. I never wanna be separated from you. Now just between you and God, if that's you on the count of three, I'd like you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. Now, maybe you're here today and you're facing a problem. You've been facing it like a scared Israelite. You're looking around and you're trying to find a savior, but now you're ready to face it as a warrior, knowing who your savior is and knowing that the battle is already won. If that's you and you're wanting to face life as a warrior, on the count of three, I'd like you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. Maybe you're here today and you're not ready to follow Jesus, but you've got some questions. And my encouragement to you is to please, don't leave today without talking to somebody. Don't leave today without coming up front and praying with somebody. We're here for you. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your love for us. We love you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this Peak City message today. If you'd like more information on Peak City Church or if you'd like to give to the mission here in Colorado Springs, then check us out at peakcityco.com.